WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I am normal New Jersey human, Matt Laserwitch. Good evening, friend Dan Greet. What? Who the hell are you? I said, I am normal New Jersey human, Matt Laserwitch. You neither look nor sound like Matt. Uh, who are you, and what are you doing in my best friend's podcasting bed? I am here to podcast with my good human friend, Dan Greet, a podcast where we talk about graphic novels and the strategic defense plans for Trenton, New Jersey. You must embrace change, Daniel. I am clearly becoming a superior Matthew. Look, the cat Beth is even here. Uh a superior, the, the cat Bess is in fact sitting next to you and glowering at you and not attempting to sit on your stomach while you record like she normally does. Even she's not buying it. And as the real Matt often says, she dumb. This is my normal human feline cat. <sighs> okay. Well, I still have to do a podcast. So I guess this is what we're doing. Um, even if my co-host has been replaced with the world's worst scroll. Uh, <clears throat> all right. This week's guest is a three-time returning champion. Uh, so maybe he'll forgive us his hiccup. Uh, he is here to talk about his Kickstarter for the second chapter of the OZ. Uh, writer David Pepos. Uh, David, welcome back. And I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. No, I'm, I'm excited to have, um, you know, uh, 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 two uh, perfectly normal human beings uh, to be sharing this podcast with, um, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, embrace change. Uh, that's what I always like to say. And uh, thanks so much for having me. Hello, David. What do you know of the strategic defense plans for Trenton, New Jersey? My good human friend, Dan Greet, refuses to discuss them with me. I believe it is what humans call a bit. You know, I, that's, I, I love committing to the bit. Um, you know, that's, that's, that, uh, that's what I do for, for, for all of my work. And that's why I have to say that you, sir, have a magnificent chin. Why, thank you. I hate this so much. Um, okay, uh, David, you're here because uh, you're about to launch your Kickstarter for chapter two of the OZ. Uh, sort of your meditation on PTSD and war through the lens of Al, Al Frank Baum's Land of Oz. Uh, yeah. Chapter one, which you put out last year, uh, introduces the granddaughter of Dorothy Gale to the Land of Oz as she's readjusting civilian life after serving in Iraq. Uh, she's joined the resistance now against the new occupying power. Uh, you know, what is, what is the non-spoilery version of what happens next? You know, what can you tease us with about chapter two? Yeah, well, um, so, you know, as with most of my books, our first issue is the quiet issue. And uh, now that we've sort of established most of our characters, we've established the war-torn land of Oz, now we're really able to sort of put pedal to the metal uh, for our second issue. Um, yeah, we're, uh, without spoiling too much, um, we, we mentioned in our first issue that sort of the equivalent of a, a, a weapon of mass destruction in the land of Oz is the silver slippers, um, mm -hmm. because it takes what is a bad war, but ultimately a self-contained one. And you can use it to now bring a war machine across universes. 
And, um, you know, those, those slippers have been scattered for good reason uh, for many years. And um, Dorothy is now going to find herself forced to find them. Um, and sort of, it's kind of a race against time. Um, we'll get to meet a few new characters in the mix, um, particularly our take on the Cowardly Lion, um, which uh, is super fun. Um, I think Ruben Rojas, our artist on the book, um, that's his favorite character to draw. Mm. Um, he, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of different influences that went into into his character. There's um, there's Frog from Chrono Trigger, um, mm. down to um, uh, Black Panther in the Avengers, um, but his story is one of legacy and it's one of scale. Um, I think that's something that he and Dorothy will really find a lot of common ground. Uh, brave when you're just fighting for yourself. But what happens when you're the king of the animal kingdom? Suddenly your calculus for bravery, um, it's, it's in human lives now, or in this case, animal lives. Um, and you, it's a very different calculus of how, how, you, how you wage a war. Um, so we've got some really fun stuff planned uh, for sort of that, that, general, uh, that general search. Um, you know, our, our big bad of the series, um, which, uh, you know, it, it's not spoiling because we'll have it on the Kickstarter page. Um, this dystopian regime is led by the Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Um, he was sort of the genius who everybody left uh, the keys to Oz to. And he's found out that absolute power has corrupted absolutely. Um, and uh, so it's going to be Dorothy versus the Scarecrow. And um, they're both going to get some pretty good licks in uh, for this mm-hmm. issue. Um, so yeah, Ruben is doing some terrific work on it. Um, we're going to be launching um, uh, sometime in August. Um, we're getting like a good critical mass of pages together. We've got some really fun covers coming in. Um, I can say, for example, uh, Mon House, who um, mm-hmm. did a really popular variant for us last time. He's done covers for uh, my previous books, Spencer and Locke, Going to the Chapel, Skets Honor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a really incredible looking cover. Um, uh, my, my pal Fareed uh, Karimi, who you might know from his recent work on Night Gwen uh, over at Marvel. Um, he's got a really fun cover for us as well. Um, and uh, Sam Iraz uh, from The Pride um, has a really wonderful looking cover. Um, it's an homage to one of my favorite Marvel covers of all time. Um, you guys, will, you'll know it when you see it. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just some really fun stuff coming in. Um, I think uh, you know, I've, I've said it before, the, the OZ's creative team, I think is as top shelf as it gets. Um, I'm sort of the odd man out here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having Ruben Rojas teaming up with uh, uh, Eisner Award uh, nominated colorist, uh, Whitney Kogar, um, uh, and, and spectacular letterer DC Hopkins, along with our murderer's row of cover talent. Um, it's a really creatively stacked book. And it's one that um, I know it's been a long time coming. Um, there's been a lot of reasons why we've sort of had such a long gap between Kickstarters. Um, you know, we had some COVID related delays. Also, um, my, my Aftershock book, Scouts Honor, um, you know, I realized as that book was coming out, I didn't want to have to choose between the babies. Sure. And so, um, you know, the scheduling, it's worked out pretty well, I, I, I think. And when people see what we've been, when we've, what we've been cooking up, um, I think they're going to agree it was definitely worth the wait. <laughs> Well, you you had me at Frog from Chrono Trigger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Love um, Chrono Trigger, big influence on the on the book. So, uh, if you like that game, you will love this series. <laughs> so, what you're saying is, you should read the whole through the whole thing a few times, but like stop in different places so the ending changes. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Don't don't try to don't try to uh, uh, beat the game the first five minutes. It's gonna be hard for everybody. Uh, so, uh, what is what is new with this Kickstarter in terms of the campaign itself? Yeah, you know, I think for me, the 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 big thing is, um, you know, picking up what I learned from the last time. Um, you know, there. This my uh, the first issue of the OZ was my very first Kickstarter, and so I was learning a lot of things on the fly, figuring out, for example, you know, how do we do shipping costs? Um, you know, uh, how do we figure out shipping weights? I had never ordered Gemini mailers before, um, you know, for my books. Um, dealing with our our printer comic impressions, who uh, were very lucky to be working with them again for for our second issue. Mm-hmm. Um, just down to like, what kind of rewards can we offer people? Um, I think I'd, I'd said this in previous interviews, but we set our initial goal for $6,000 uh, for that book. And we blew through that in about two hours. And suddenly I had to like come up with a whole new plan on the fly. Um, sort of what had been, how do we get $6,000 in 30 days became, oh, what do we do over the next 30 days? Um, now we're a little bit better prepared, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think it's just, you know, we went into this with no expectations and now readers are going to come back with expectations. And um, thankfully it all comes back to the creative team. I feel so confident in my collaborators. Um, it makes me feel more collab- uh, more confident about the writing. And so um, I, I, I'm eager to sort of, I want to make sure we kind of hit the ground running in the right way. And, um, you know, by doing that, I think, um, if we do the right kind of outreach and we really are as aggressive as we were last time, um, I, I'm going to be very pleased with how this next Kickstarter turns out. I think if our, if our yellow brick road warriors were satisfied last time, I think they're going to find a lot to love in, in, in the next Kickstarter. Right on. How did you manage the stresses of your first Kickstarter campaign, human <laughs> David? <laughs> oh man. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I'd like to say it's, I got a puppy, um, but uh, that's, <laughs> its own, that's its own stresses. I'm sure you'll see Ruby coming in from daycare at some point, uh, or you'll hear her during some point of this podcast. Um, you know, I, I think as, as weird as it is to say, it was just knowing that it was finite. Um, it was knowing that there's sort of a light at the end of the tunnel. I packed about three weeks straight. Uh, we had, I think, over 1,200 uh, backers on that campaign, and I fulfilled them all out of my living room. Um, and so, knowing that, like, it was finite, that there was like a finish line at the at the end of the uh, of the path, and knowing that this was sort of the hard work had been done, that the campaign itself was done, that people were committed to this, and then it was just making sure we delivered on time. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it's, there are people who do Kickstarters like monthly or bi-monthly and boy, I give them a lot of credit. I, you know, you see people like, um, like Pat Shand, for mm-hmm. example, um, from, from Destiny New York, he just wrapped up a Kickstarter with that. And uh, that guy has it figured out, you know, I, I'm still kind of fine tuning my method a little bit. And so taking a little bit of time in between Kickstarters is not the worst idea in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to tap out my audience, but also, you know, I see, I was just talking to somebody about this earlier today. Um, you know, there was always this dichotomy between creator owned comics and licensed big two comics. And you know how people would kind of shift from one to the other. They would sort of, they would build a bigger readership 
you know, they'd start in the Indies, they'd go to the big two, they'd get a readership, they'd go back to image with that readership. And I think it's the same thing between the direct market and Kickstarter. Um, I think there are people who, there is overlap, but I don't think it's as extensive as one might think. Um, I think there are people who are the, the Wednesday warriors and that's where they get their books. And there are some people who that's just not their bag and it's not their speed. And so Kickstarter winds up being the way that they pick up books or cons are the way they pick up their books or webtoons or however you want to, you know. Um, and so I think being able to kind of dip my toes in these different constituency pools, that's sort of my way of trying to bring them together. It's trying to, try to build a bigger table and invite more people to it. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I think the other thing, you know, when I'm stressed is just remembering like it, it sure beats digging ditches. Um, you know, this is ha, like the best ha, job ha, in the world. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, yeah i mean you know it's it's uh it's just uh you know it's comics there's so many fun things you can do you know i mean you can you know shift gears from you know a war in the land of oz to you know shapeshifters infiltrating every level of government and you know trying to you know install their uh alien empress um you know it's just it's the best it's the best job in the world. I get to, to pretend for fun. And um, whenever I get stressed out, I just try to remember that. And uh, that, that usually takes me a long way. That's good. Um, you know, Matt, you can just call him David. The human part is implied, uh, or, or usually it is with us humans. Um, but anyway. But like, whatever makes you feel comfortable, you know, I, I, I don't want to yuck your yum. Um, I, you know, uh, whatever, whatever is in your, uh, everyday human custom, um, I'm happy to, uh, accept it, to embrace that. I shall endeavor to do better, Dan Crete. Thanks for that, buddy. Um, so, uh, how did, you know, because I, I, I've seen, I've seen pictures of, of various, you know, you always see the picture on social media. It's like, all right, you know, all the packages and it's like, all right, I'm getting ready to ship out, you know, copies of, of X comic to, to everybody. How did uh, your, your partner slash Ruby deal with that period when your apartment is, is part like Amazon fulfillment warehouse? It was tough. You know, we, so we just, we just moved um, about two months ago to a bigger, a bigger place, but um I got the books, I believe the books arrived on a Wednesday and we picked up Ruby that Saturday. So it was, uh, that was a big week. Um, there yeah. were a lot of books coming in. Uh, that's speaking of Ruby, there she is. Hi, sweet girl. Ooh, hello friend. Um, so yeah, Ruby was just, uh, she, I think she didn't quite know what to expect. You know, I had mm -hmm. done a couple days worth of packing before we picked her up and then we had, we had, um, a pen in the living room um, uh, for her. And then we had my books kind of half in the living room, half in my office. And um, yeah, for a long time, <laughs> it's funny, the way that we, we would placate her for a while is I would take rolls of tape and whichever ones were kind of running low on tape, I'd throw them in the pen and Ruby would run around with the, with the tape. Um, so yeah, that was like a big, like formative bonding experience for the three of us. Um, yeah, I think Ruby, I don't know how she'll react to her second Kickstarter, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, 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 uh, she's certainly bigger and faster and harder to catch. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but 
yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's been, it's been good having a pet during all this. Um, you know, I, uh, we had a, 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 another, another terrier Holly who passed just before COVID. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote, I wrote the back half of the OZ after she passed and I wrote all of scouts honor, um, in between, in between puppies. And it's, I gotta say, it's a lot nicer having, having a dog at home. It sort of gives you a little bit of like an extra inspiration, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, your dog will love you no matter what books you turn in, but it just kind of makes me bring in my A game. Cause I want to make sure that I, I work hard so I can give my dog a better life. That's great. Um, we talked a little bit about the timing and how Scouts Honor kind of fit into everything. Uh, you know, at what point, you know, had you had you already had, you know, the second part scripted? Uh, you know, I, I, I guess what what overall, what was kind of the, the, the timeline from chapter yeah. one to chapter two? So I... So I had written, let's see. So I think I had written, I might've written, so I had originally written the OZ as six single issues. And okay. then when I decided to do Kickstarter, I said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna put them, we're gonna stitch them together as a sort of double-sized issues. And I feel like I had written, I think I had written at least issue three, maybe issue four by the time I started on Scouts Honor. Um, the, the Scouts Honor timing was interesting because you, you know comics are so hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. um, where I had I um, I had talked with Aftershock, I think preliminarily it was um, it was June or July of 2019. I had talked with Lee Kramer. And I'd sent him a couple of log lines just of ideas that I was interested in. And of course, Scout's Honor was the one that they picked. And that was the one that I did the least amount of work on. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I had to really like double time it. And um, so I think I turned in my pitch around that August. Um, and I just kind of waited for a while. Um, I was told, I think around Christmas Eve of 2019, oh, hey, we're green lighting this book. We're going to pick it up. But then based on the way that I think Aftershock had changed their contracts, so they had updated their contracts somehow. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't sign the contract until it was the week that like Emerald City shut down. So it was oh, like right wow. pandemic. So, you know, it was, it was, it was, um, it was early March and pretty much from early March until I wrote all of Scouts Honor from March to, I turned it in um, that Friday before July 4th of that year. So there was a period where I would write the last, I was writing with the last like two or three issues of the OZ. I'd write that a script in two weeks and I'd switch gears immediately to Scout's Honor. And so there was a little bit of overlap in those last couple of issues. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also just, you know, Ruben is a very time intensive artist, uh, Ruben Rojas uh, on the OZ. He's a perfectionist just like me. And um, the thing that's been hardest for me to, uh, to really um, get as a comics creator is it feels like forever for me, you know, like getting the art in and getting everything approved. Their job is much harder than mine. You know, it's, it's physical labor. It's not, you know, you know, when you draw and realizing, internalizing that, like, at the end of the day, the readers don't care. The publishers don't care. 
you know, if, as long as it comes out mm-hmm. and as long as, you know, once you get that collection together, especially no one's going to care if it took you a year and a half, mm-hmm. you know, no one's going to take care if it took you two years. Um, as long they're going to care, did the story work? You know, was, were you bringing your A game the whole time? And so um, it's given me a sense of permission a little bit, you know, not to like, I don't want to like drag things out longer than they have to be, obviously, but just kind of knowing that, hey, we have time to put this together. And, you know, for example, when COVID, you know, kind of threw a wrench in our scheduling, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was a lot of sort of, it, it slowed down the art production on things. Um, knowing that like, hey, that's, that's a common thing that we all have. That's, that's, a, that's a world trauma that we're all getting through at this point. True. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, and then I think also really, you know, when it, with Scout's Honor, I didn't know how that book was going to be received. I'll, I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you guys. I, um, I never know how my books are going to be received when they come out. You know, I'm always sort of worried, like, is this the book that like, that I didn't do enough of my own homework? Is this the book that like people say we've had enough of this guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really, I feel really grateful that it came, you know, the book came out and people really seemed to get what we were going for, you know, in terms of sort of this interrogation of religion and cults and politics and gender um but you never know if you're going to stick the landing you know until you stuck the landing mm-hmm. and once we did i it, it made me really kind of double down on it i was like okay like scouts honor like you know it, it 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 worked the way i wanted it to and so i owe it to this book and i owe it to this team and i owe it to my editors at aftershock to really kind of go to the map for that exclusively and so um it was good. You know, I mean, there are people out there who are very fortunate, you know, they're juggling multiple books at once and, and God bless them. Um, I just don't know how, I don't know how you do it. You know, I don't know how you juggle that many books and promote them in a way that you don't feel regrets. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and so um, maybe I'm being naive, um, you know, and, and, and maybe in a few years I'll be juggling a bunch of books and being like, well, that guy was an idiot. Um, but for now, <laughs> For now, I, 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 I like the fact of having one book to focus on at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way it really, it, it means that I'll never go to bed thinking, did I, did I leave it all out in the field? Um, because I know that I will leave it all out in the field for these books. I think that's the least that, that my readers deserve um, for, for putting, giving a chance to, to, to me and my work. And I think it's the least that uh, my editors deserve for uh, rolling the dice on, on me and my teams. With the, the longer period between issues, uh, yeah. you know, you've got, you have that time where, you know, you're, you're seeing the response to the Kickstarter, you're seeing res- the response to, you know, the first issue. Yeah. Did that end up coloring, you know, any of the work you ended up putting into, you know, part two or anything? Um, it's funny, not for the story itself, um, because the story itself, like I, I'd hammered that out pretty extensively, um, even before the first Kickstarter was out, and and so the mm-hmm. the train it was sort of always been on the tracks for that, and and um, and thankfully, I think people seemed to get what we were going. For. I feel like you know the script I I had like agonized over it within an inch of its life, so that's that was fairly set in stone. Mm-hmm. But the way that I'm handling the campaign is definitely, that has definitely uh, uh, been informed by the previous one. Mm-hmm. Things like, for example, 
I didn't know how many variant covers I should do, you know, for, for the series. I kind of, when I did the Kickstarter the first time, you know, I reached out to just as many people as I could. And I was kind of mm-hmm. like, I don't know who's available. So I'm going to reach out to 10 people and see how many covers I can get out of it. Um, and some of those turned into pinups and some of them turned into to, to our prints, like uh, the Kira Okamoto print that, mm-hmm. that we got. Um, and uh, realizing like, okay, people seem to like having four covers of the book. People will, will do that. All right, I'm going to prep that for the next one. Um, you know, our enamel pins that we kind of, the last time we kind of threw them together very spur of the moment um, because, you know, I didn't know we were going to be needing to do stretch goals. Um, now I'm sort of planning, okay, like we've got a very cool um, uh, red badge of courage that we'll be uh, unveiling as a, as a, as an enamel pin for the second ca- uh, campaign. Um, you know, figuring out just how are we going to do the publicity for this? You know, um, you know, how are we going to keep, the word going through the 30 days of the campaign, because that's a lot harder than it looks. Um, and also just figuring out like, okay, you know, it was a tight time frame. Even with the campaign that we did last time, like we made it, but like, would I like to have given myself like an extra month, maybe two months? Yeah. And so that's something that we're sort of, we're hammering out as we're, um, you know, as we're prepping to launch the campaign in, in August. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, Writing a book for Kickstarter, I think, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a different animal than writing for the direct market, but I think the way you promote it is like a very different beast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very much everything you know about promoting a direct market comic, put it on steroids, and that's a Kickstarter. You have to be like hyper aggressive. I was telling somebody earlier today, I mean, not that I would do this um, because I, it would annoy people, but like in theory, you could just preload a tweet on Twitter every hour about your, your book. Mm-hmm. And it probably still wouldn't be enough. It probably still wouldn't reach all of your followers. Um, so you really got to be on your ground game. Um, you really got to be like hyper aware. And um, yeah, I think having a year to really reflect on it, but also just to recuperate a mm. little bit. Um, you know, I, I think that, and, and really catch your breath before you go back into the marathon. I think that's been very helpful for us. And um, yeah, I, and I, I, I hope, you know, we get enough of our readers to come back um, that they'll see, they'll see, they'll see that we, we've been using the time wisely. Also got to let all those paper cuts heal from all the uh, packing and shipping. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. I mean, there's a, there's a photo uh, on, on my Twitter deep in there somewhere um, of all the Gemini mailers that I had ordered and I stacked them all on top of each other and they wound up being taller than me. So oh boy. it's, yeah, it's a lot. That's actually, that's, uh, that's on my list of things to order is more Gemini mailers for the next Kickstarter. So uh, this looks like a good place to interject with a question from our number one question asker, Patreon supporter and loyalist content consumer, uh, Asimov Fangirl, who asks, uh, which version of any of the Oz tales is your favorite uh, books, movie, anime, etc.? Yeah, um, no, I, I think my favorite, um, it has to be Return to Oz. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think, I think because I, I grew up with the Judy Garland film. I think that's sort of the, 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 the cultural osmosis that we all pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Return to Oz it's funny. I, when I saw it, when I saw it first as a kid, I was horrified. 
And then, you know, when I revisited it um, in college, I was like, oh, I get it now. Um, and I think, I think without even realizing it, that sequel slash remix <laughs> slash sort of dark interpretation of the Oz mythos, I think really colored how I do a lot of my work. Um, you know, I, I, I think, um, I don't think my work is any different than most people's. It's just, I play a lot with tone. You know, mm. that's sort of my, my, my thing is, is finding, finding like a, a kind of a darker way to present the same premise and then figuring out, okay, what's the theme then inherent in that? Um, that's sort of my, 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 my process as it stands. And um, yeah, Return to Oz, it just, it took those archetypes and I couldn't really articulate it at the time, but you know, it puts such a, an interesting twist on all of them. And it's a way that both reminds you of the original, but also stands really strongly on its own. Mm. And um, it's just, it was very, is very refreshing. It, it, you know, it was, again, I'm sure part of it is like that lingering fear that I had as a kid, I think still kind of really stuck in me. Um, but now sort of just being like, oh yeah, like seeing the world of Oz is so archetypical and it's so broad and, and, you know, you, you immediately get a sense of place when you think about it, but I think it's easy to kind of stay in that one gear. And I think Return to Oz really kind of reminded me like, oh no, there's, you know, when you have a setting that rich, there's so much you can do with it and a cast of characters that's so rich. Um, so that I think, uh, that's, I think my favorite uh, uh, Oz media for sure. So uh, one, one more OZ question before yeah. we move on. Uh, will we get more of Toto's very good derp tongue? Because that was one of my, my favorite points. They introduced, you know, they, you peel back the curtain and everything and, and, yeah. and Toto is there. And oh, little tongue's just sticking out of the mouth. <laughs> You know, so it's it's funny. I, I'll I can give a little bit of spoilers to this because this will also be in the in the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so um, Toto's role in the OZ, um, it, 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 it's my favorite part of the whole series. I think um, you know uh, I I I dedicated that whole thing to our, our puppy Holly, mm -hmm. um, uh, who who uh, she was she was Karen Terrier just like Toto, and um, it's funny when I started writing this series, I've been working on the OZ for a long time. I started the outline, the initial outline for that uh, shortly after the first volume of Spencer and Locke came out. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. And what's funny is I had just started writing it. Um, my girlfriend and I had flown home for the July 4th holiday. And my mother said, Hey, our older terrier is not doing very well. Uh, buddy, do you want to take Holly? for a month since we don't know how long buddy's going to last mm. and um buddy wound up surviving another nine months uh, the troll that he was and uh so holly just became ours and so i was writing this book with with this this this, this terrier in it and and holly was my writer's assistant the whole time mm -hmm. and um you know it's funny it still gets me um by the time that the art was coming in on those pages um Holly had just passed. Um, she, she had melanoma. We, we kind of nursed her her last year. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's it still, you know, kind of makes me choke up every time I see that page. Um, and so it's, it's funny. I will say without spoiling too much, 
Toto wasn't supposed to have a big role in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we got Holly's diagnosis and we sort of, we were taking a dog to, to, to radiation and, and all that, I very quickly was like, well, nope, I'm changing that. Um, you know, what I can't change in the real world, I will mm-hmm. change in my books. And so uh, Toto's got like a really fun role uh, in the series. Um, you know, he's sort of, he's sort of like the cue of, of, you know, of, of, of this team, you know, he's, he's, he's sort of, I always kind of picture him like with a little bit of an accent. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's a, the leader of the resistance. And if you know anything about terriers, um, you know, they are, they, uh, what they lack in size, they make up for an attitude and they make up for in grit. And, uh, you know, they're, uh, they'll do anything to protect their territory. And uh, I think that's something that uh, uh, Toto's got some really fun moments, uh, especially in the second issue. If you liked him in issue one, uh, you're going to be really pleased with his role in issue two. Um, yeah. And just Ruben, for somebody who, as far as I know, does not have terriers, he just, I saw those pages come in and I was just like, Ugh, if I, you know, if I hadn't fallen in love with his work before, mm-hmm. um, Ruben, I've been very fortunate between working with people like Ruben um, and uh, George Santiago Jr. and Spencer and Locke and Gavin Guidry on uh, going to the chapel, finding artists who they understand like, oh no, we're, our goal is to make people cry. Like that, the fact that they understand that part of the assignment really goes, it helps me out in a big way mm-hmm. um, because they really lock onto these like emotional moments that really make you fall in love with the characters. And um, yeah, I'm hoping by the time everybody finishes the OZ, they'll love Terriers as much as I do. Um, but yeah, especially, especially sort of uh, with my own history with, with, with those dogs, um, it's, it's, it's a love letter. Um, and it's one that I'm, I'm really, I feel very grateful that people are, are buying into. Excuse me. I have one final question on the book, Dan Crete. Will the pages of the upcoming chapter provide regular nourishment for humans? It'll provide emotional nourishment for humans. Uh, if you want uh, regular nourishment, it will be high in fiber. Uh, but I... Uh, you know, if you buy the book, I can't, you know, I can't tell you what to do with it. I'm sure it would make uh, a, a, a very delightful fried dish if you decided to do that. Um, you know, whatever, uh, whatever rustles your jimmies. I'm, I, you know, whatever makes you happy. Uh, but yes, at, at the minimum, it will certainly provide emotional nourishment for human readers. Fascinating. <sighs> Matt, you're really bringing your A game with these questions today really just knocking it out of the park okay um we uh so speaking of scouts honor which we've mentioned a couple times uh and and since the last time we talked i think it was like just about to come out um yeah. you know uh that's your your post-apocalyptic take on scouting with uh, luca casalanguida over at aftershock mm-hmm. uh so the trade is out in september and yeah. I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about sort of the fine art of promotion here. You know, you've been done creating the series for a while now. The last issue shipped in May. Yes. So you're in this weird nebulous space where there's not a book out currently, but you've <laughs> got one more shot to promote it with the trade. Uh, you know, a, a, as, a, as an indie creator, we've already talked about this. The hustle is real, obviously. Uh, you know, but do you have to like remind, is this 
a thing where it's like you have to remind yourself to to go back and promote this book that you finished a while ago and isn't currently a, you know a, a tab open your on your computer or, or anything. yes yeah no it's definitely you know it's one of those things um the last issue of spencer and or not wow the last issue of scouts honor uh came out um we had just moved i think a week prior to our new place mm-hmm. so it was a lot of kind of crazy stuff going on at once and um and yeah it's figuring out like you know there was a while where there wasn't a whole lot to promote because it wasn't even in previews yet um now it's in previews and so now we're starting to kind of like warm the engines back up and start talking about it some more um and i think i think the benefit will be you know when i'm promoting the oz uh talking about the scouts honor you know trade will be part of that um, so there is a little bit of dovetailing going on on in there. And uh, we do plan on offering, um, you know, copies of the trade paperback as rewards. Um, we will be offering, you know, uh, we plan to offer a backer kit store, uh, you know, assuming that we, we assuming we make enough revenue um, to, to justify a backer kit store. We'll have that and that'll have, you know, a la carte copies of all of my trades. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's sort of figuring out like, okay, the book is over. And people seem to have like kind of understood what it is, um, but now factoring in that there's a break in between the last issue and the trade. Um, and so, yeah, we're starting to sort of warm the engines back up a little bit. Um, you know, I, I did some travel, um, which I'm sort of still kind of catching up on. And then uh, there are a few deadlines that kind of dropped in my lap. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're gearing up for that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I can't wait for that to, to, to hold that trade. I feel like, this that was a book that felt almost more unlikely to me than Spencer and Locke, you know. Um, I think because Spencer and Locke was the kind of book, it was very deliberate from the beginning. Um, that was a book that I had come up with the pitch, I had come up with the team, and I pitched it all over town. And I was saying, come hell or high water, I will make this book. Um, Scout's Honor was a different kind of thing because I, I, I had really wanted to work with Aftershock. I really wanted to work with Mike Martz, who um, I, I interned for back when he was in DC, uh, when he was the Batman editor. And, um, and so it was a, a lot more of a, a, a collaborative, but almost improvisational game. You know, um, the fact that I had sent Aftershock a number of concepts saying, I'm willing to flesh any of these out if anything catches your eye. And Scout's Honor being the one, the idea that I had like just come up with like the previous week and sort of being like, oh, okay, we got to like really think on the fly to like figure out this idea that like maybe I hadn't done as much consideration on. Now you got to do the, now you got to do the work and you got to do it on a deadline. Um, and uh, yeah, I think seeing that trade in my hands and seeing a trade that, you know, that I didn't that I had to trust other people with, you know, I mean, you know, I don't think it's any secret that, you know, you're working for like a micro publisher, like, um, like action lab, you know, I did all the designs on my trades. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mentioned that to, to a friend of mine in another publisher. He was like, what? And I was like, yeah, that's just, I assume that's just how it went. Um, you know, whereas with aftershock, this is the first time that I was working with a publisher with like an established staff, you know, and, and, uh, and actual like full-time designers. And, um, and so it was my first, it still feels like my first shot of the big time and, um, and hopefully not my last, 
but I feel like it's, um, it's representative of, I think, a lot of growth as a writer. I think a lot of kind of learning human lessons, you know, about control and when to give it up and when to sort of trust your collaborators. I think these are all things that have been really important for me to, to grow as a writer and as a human being. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I'm really excited to really kind of start revving up the engines again to start talking about this um, and, and both in conjunction with the OZ and, and without. Um, but yeah, it, it, it also there's part of me that's just when the trade is out, I can finally just breathe that sigh of relief. That part of my brain that's been scouts honor for the last year and a half, I can finally free that up for something else. Mm-hmm. And um, that will also be its own form of relief and its own form of reward. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to go back to cons and selling it too. I mean, that's the thing I think that's, that's part of it. And it's something that I'm really a, a challenge. I'm very excited to tackle over my career. Um, it was one thing when I had one book, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I'm excited to like hit the road at conventions again and figure out like, okay, Spencer and Locke was my, has been my top seller for a long time. How's Scouts Honor going to compare to that? You know, will we match it? Will it be more? Will it be less? And kind of figuring out the, how the audience's tastes will go. Um, but I never see, especially with cons, I never see it as, oh, I stopped selling a book once the trade is out. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, you know, they're your kids. You're always going to be selling them. <laughs> um, and uh, that is both intimidating and, and, and relieving at the same time. You get to go to New York with a fat stack of your kids sitting right on the table. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Figuring out how am I going to bring, you know, four or five kids uh, to New York Comic Con, you know, without breaking my back. It's, 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 it's an ongoing concern. <laughs> Is the New York Comic Con a place where children are typically sold? And if so, how expensive are they? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I hope there's not children being sold at, at New York Comic Con. Um, you know, I, <laughs> there's children's toys being sold at, at New York Comic Con. Um, you know, I think uh, how expensive a child is in general, you know, that's really up to you. Um, you know, that's, that, that depends on how much you, uh, you're, you're willing to spend on them. Um, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, but uh, I, I, I can imagine they're not cheap. It is a price the human market will bear, I assume. David, the Boy Scouts are an organization with a long history and a troubled recent past. What do you think is their place moving forward in the 21st century? Boy, that's a great question coming from, especially after Can I Sell Children at New York Comic Con. You know, it's funny because I, I think there's a lot of overlap between the Boy Scouts and religion. And I, I, I think that maybe that's self-evident just based on, on, on the book that I wrote. But I think the, this, anything that you can really hinge your identity on can be double-edged. It can be positive, you know? I mean, there's so many people out there who have done really great and charitable things based on their upbringing as a scout. You know, that's been sort of the structure of, of their life. And they've learned a lot of really great you know, positive things out of that. Um, you could say the same thing about comics, you know, anybody who's ever read with great power comes great responsibility. 
you know, that's something that a lot of people hold true to themselves. Um, conversely, though, you know, just like any religion, you know, anything that sort of you base your identity on, you take it too far. And, you know, there are a lot of people who act like grade A a-holes over it, you know. Um, you know, there's all sorts of atrocities that have been justified in the name of religion. And, you know, you don't have to look too far on Twitter to see, you know, some friggin' jerks, you know, uh, trying to gatekeep the, the comics industry. So I think, you know, the Boy Scouts, they certainly have things that they need to reckon with. And they certainly have things that they need to, to reconcile and things that they need to, you know, um, to, to, they need to make steps to, to, for restitution to make things right. But I think, I think, you know, there's always going to be a place for the Boy Scouts. Um, I think there's always going to be people who see their, their, their ideals as something positive, as, as, as something that, that's, that's good for them. I think the question is whether or not they can extricate themselves from some of the more toxic elements of American culture. Um, you know, I think there's so much tied up with the Boy Scouts, with, you know, uh, uh, American politics and sort of uh, and, and sort of the religious undertones that a lot of U.S. politics has been taking lately. And um, I think the question is whether or not is is what values are they going to are, are they going to prioritize? You know, are they going to be an open and safe community for children, uh, no matter what their background? That's something admirable if they're just going to double down and sort of become kind of like a conservative right-wing fantasy, uh, they're going to go the way of the dinosaur. And so I, you know, I, I can't sort of speak to what the scouts will choose to do. Um, you know, I think some of that may be out of their control. You know, some of that, some of that is the, the train already being on the tracks and I couldn't tell you what direction the train, the tracks are going, but um yeah, I think there's certainly a degree of soul searching that they have to do, not just to stay relevant, you know, which I mean, that's its own sort of separate argument there, you know, in a world where, you know, video games and streaming and iPhones are a thing, you know, how often do you really want to go camping for, for survival skills? But even beyond that, I think the soul of the Boy Scouts, um, I think like any organized religion, really, I think there's there's going to be some question about how are they going to stay relevant? How are they going to, if they do, how do they remain a positive force? And um, that's ultimately up to them, um, you know, but uh, I, I hope that, I hope that they can sort of figure themselves out in a, in a positive way, because otherwise, yeah, they're, they're, they're dinosaurs, they're going to go extinct. There was, um, there was a really good piece that uh, one of our writers at Comics XF, Kat Purcell, wrote, where she wrote about her, you know, her experiences with the Boy Scouts and tied it into uh, Scouts Honor and some of the larger, you know, things that have come out about the the Scouts in the past couple of years. And that's that's definitely worth checking out. It was um, one of my favorite responses to that whole book. So, uh, Kat, if you're listening, thank you again for 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 writing it. Um, it really it really meant a lot to me to read it. Um, yeah, it, you know, especially she was saying, I'm reading this book and it feels like, even though I've never met the writer, it feels like he was writing it just for me. And that really, that meant a lot to me. You know, I, I think, I don't think I'm, 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 I'm saying anything controversial when, I, when I'm like, oh, I, I knew I was going out on a limb with that book. You know, it was just sort of, it was the only way that I could see us doing it in a way that like made sense, you know, mm -hmm. and that, that didn't 
run into problematic territory. And um, yeah, I, Kat's, Kat's reflection on, on, on the book and her time in, in, in the scouts, um, boy, I, 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 I really loved reading it and, and just um, seeing, hearing about sort of the things that she had to navigate you know, um, and, and, and still we're staying true to her own values. You know, I think that's something that a lot of people, they have to, they have to undergo in their lives. And I think it's so easy to just turn off that little voice in your head and to just go, go along with things. And, um, and, and I think having people like Kat, who, you know, they, they know themselves and they know what they believe is right. And they know that they're not going to stand for something that doesn't align with that value. I think that's something really admirable. And it's something that uh, I think we could all take a, a page from that scout book. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, one more question here from Asma sure. uh, fangirl. Uh, what uh, I, I, coming from a scout's point of view, what item tool do you think every person should have uh in their pockets or bags as a matter of uh survival oh man i mean well so keep in mind so keep in mind i was never a scout i i my younger brothers were scouts and sort of my outsider looking in perspective really informed the book um you know and and so it's like it's like when i think of a survival tool i i honestly i always think about my phone um you know i sort of i load on every possible app that i think i could ever possibly use in an emergency because i'm like you know if i wind up being like trapped in an airport and i need to sign a, like a, an important document you know how am i going to do it mm-hmm. um you know beyond that um you know I've always been a big fan of, of, of the Leatherman uh, multi-tools. Uh, that's my, uh, my theater background uh, uh, talking. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I used to direct some plays in college and, and sort of seeing my tech crew, you know, something's going wrong. Somebody pulls out the Leatherman. It's like, <laughs> you know, okay, you're safe. Uh, everything's going to be okay. Um, so yeah, I guess if, if we're going to go for, uh, for the, the not lame response, um, I'll go for, uh, for the Leatherman tool for sure. Can't go wrong there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I will mention, uh, since we've brought her we've said her, said her name a couple times, uh, just quick shout out to Asmo Fangirl cause she just upped her, upped her pledge to the, uh, podcast Patreon at, uh, patreon.com slash WMQ comics. So big thanks to her. I owe her a comic in the mail. Uh, but, uh, moving on, um, you re- uh, also have contributed short stories to a couple Kickstarter anthologies, uh, in the past yeah. year that, uh, have started shipping to backers. Uh, one was, uh, Project Big Hype, a uh, manga inspired collection where you wrote Roxy we Want Rewind, uh, the story of a roller derby themed teen hero, daughter of a time traveler, uh, a sentence you don't really don't get to write outside of comics um (laughs) yeah uh, it's a it's a fun story uh you know uh, obviously your stuff usually always has some humor through it uh you know whether there's a darker edge or not uh you know but it was it fun to 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 cut loose and do a story that you know wasn't as as dark sure well you know so it's funny the character of roxy um she actually predates spencer and Locke. um i've Ah. had roxy in mind for a very long time um I, I, I talk a lot about when I was first starting to learn how to write, I wrote a short script every day for 90 days. Um, hmm. And uh, Roxy 
was one of those characters, one of those 90 day scripts. And um, I, you know, writing superheroes is tough. You know, it, it, when you've got a world where Marvel, DC and Valiant exist, you know, like that's already like Coke, Pepsi and Dr. Pepper, you know, like how many people are asking for RC Cola, like really? Um, and so I had been thinking for a long time, you know, I would never want to write an off-brand superhero unless I had like an actual real point of view. Mm -hmm. And so um, Roxy had been, had been kind of the answer to that, you know, figuring out how could you do time travel in an interesting and visual way and, and um, taking that idea of time travelers and having two time travelers from two very different eras and saying, how does that dual heritage kind of come to fruition in their children? Um, you know, I, I, I consider them almost uh, cross-temporal immigrants in, in a lot of ways. It's sort of a way of picking up threads from both like classic Spider-Man and classic Superman mm -hmm. um, and taking a different vibe on it. And um, yeah, it's one of those things, Roxy's been on my mind for a long time. I'd written um, an animated script for it at one point. Mm -hmm. I, uh, and um, when Doug Wood, uh, the editor of, of Big Hype, um, you know, he and I have talked a, a, a bit because uh, we've both been in the trenches at Action Lab together. And uh, when Doug said, I'm working on an anthology and would you be interested in submitting a full length story? I realized like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity for Roxy. And so, um, you know, I, I, it, it was very easy to know who to reach out to to draw this. Uh, George Santiago Jr., um, he's, he, he, he comes from a manga background. That's sort of his upbringing. You know, I grew up with, you know, 90s Marvel and, and he grew up with like, you know, one piece and run on one half. Um, and so I knew, especially because uh, George and I have been working very slowly, but surely on Spencer and Lock Volume 3, it's just been a lot of moving parts and I've had, I've been juggling a lot of deadlines on top mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was like, look, while I'm still working on like scripts and everything, I want to give you some work. So like, do you, do you want to handle this? And so um, George did a terrific job on it. I was so thrilled um, with, with the way he, he, he tackled it and the way that um, Jim Campbell did some really terrific lettering on it. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, it's funny. It's a nice change of pace. It, it, I, it, I think a lot of people see me as like this very dark writer because of the work that's come out. And I always say, I always have to say, well, that's actually not everything I do. That's just the stuff that's happened to come out so far. Um, and so Roxy, I think was like a fun way, just like going to the chapel of being like, you know, there's something there. I, I'm not just the guy who's going to ruin your childhood. I promise. Um, <laughs> like I can, I can add to it as well. And so, um, yeah, you know, Roxy was just a fun way to kind of like pay homage to the superheroes I grew up loving. Um, and also, you know, as I've tinkered with Roxy as a character over the years, um, I think a lot of my sister with her, um, my, 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 my baby sister is the youngest of four. And, um, you know, my brother, one of my brothers read a bit of comics, I think just following me, but my sister never got into it. And I, I totally understand why, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's just the, the market's not geared towards her. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had been thinking for a long time, like what's the kind of hero that I think my sister would relate to. Um, and so, you know, Roxy is, is that kind of hero, you know, she's a character who sort of in the vein of, of, of Peter Parker, you know, she's, she's got her own neuroses. She doesn't really know where she fits in. Um, she always kind of feels like she can't measure up. 
And I totally get it. It makes sense. You know, when your parents come from two very different backgrounds and then they bring you here and they sort of you to just roll with it, you know, it's tough. Who, you know, how do you, how do you establish your identity? Who do you figure out? How do you figure out who you are? And this idea of sort of taking elements of, you know, a 1960s roller derby, uh, you know, uh, uh, person and uh, like a, a time traveling future scientist well, then mashing them together is sort of, uh, you know, a roller derby sci-fi superhero. Suddenly it's like, it feels like that's your way of asserting your own identity. Mm-hmm. It's putting your own spin on your core component parts. Um, and so I, I really want to do more with Roxy. And um, George and I, uh, you know, we, we've talked about it. We're both very interested in, in doing it. Um, I think it'll probably be a post-Spencer Unlock 3 thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, Roxy's been a character that's been near and dear to me for a long time. And I'm, I'm very grateful to Doug that he, uh, gave me the platform to, uh, to, to finally bring her to life. Uh, so we, we've cracked the seal on this. No turning back now. Uh, yeah. you know, do you have a lot of people bugging you about, uh, about Spencer and Lock 3? Oh, all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the thing I always, I always say there's, there's, there's a number of reasons why it's taken a little longer than I would have mm-hmm. liked. Um, the thing is, is between volumes one and two, mm-hmm. I had no other books to write. I basically wrote the first two volumes, um, not concurrently, but uh, is pretty much as soon as the first trade of Spencer and Locke came out and people mm-hmm. liked the book, I hadn't been run out of the industry yet. Spencer and Locke 2 was the very next thing I worked on. And then I worked on Chapel and then I started working on the OZ and, um, and, and Grand Theft Astro and, um, and, and, uh, and then Scout's Honor. Um, so basically the difference is between volumes one and two, I had no other books. And between volumes two and three, I think I've written seven or eight books. So it's, um, you know, and, and on top of that, uh, you know, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. Um, we're doing um, uh, the Peanuts gang is being picked off by a Garfield themed serial killer. And um, I read all of Calvin and Hobbes from beginning to end for mm-hmm. both volumes. And I'm doing that again for volume three, but I'm also reading as much, as much peanuts and as much Garfield as possible. Cause it's like, you're climbing Everest three times now, you know, for characters that there's a lot of expectations uh-huh. and a lot of mythology that like, you're like, how am I going to fit all this together? And so that's been kind of like the ongoing process for that book. Um, but there's, you know, it's sort of, it's both George and I agree. Like we want to make sure we take the time to do it right. Mm-hmm. This is sort of like the exclamation point at the end of the sentence that is Spencer and Locke. Um, we, we are we are assuming that this will be the last volume. We're writing it as such. Um, and um, there's a lot of influences that we're very excited to be weaving into all this that I think will also even make the, the, the gap between volumes two and three make more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to establish that that there is a sense of time um, and that there has been that Spencer and Locke have to figure some stuff out, you know, um, after the fallout of their last case. Um, it's not going to be the, it's not going to be as, as back to back as volumes one and two were. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we've got some really fun stuff cooking for it. Um, but yes, people ask me all the time and I, and I, I just say, um, I promise we're working on it. Um, and you will see, in the months to come, um, I would say within at least the next six to 12 months, 
you'll you'll learn why this has been so slow um you know and, and you'll 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 hear more stuff that i'm involved in that you're like mm -hmm. oh that's what took up all this bandwidth um and uh so yes um uh, more stuff to come i promise in, in your research for the third volume of spencer and Locke, have you been able to decipher why the cat garfield so detests mondays you know it's 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 a. Uh, I thought a lot about it actually, uh, because our Garfield themed serial killer will be picking off people on Mondays. Um, and I think it's, it's about a feeling of powerlessness. It's about feeling like you're trapped in the machine that is your life. And uh, you know, Monday is where it starts all over again. You, you got the job you don't like, you've got the, 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 the life you don't like, and uh, you, you've, you've just, you've just ended the, 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 the respite of the weekend. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's the thing that kind of hits you in the face. And I think this particular killer, um, he sees Mondays as, or she, uh, as a way to lash out, um, you know, sort of asserting their dominance over a world that doesn't often offer that. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough world out there. And, uh, you know, if you want to be the apex predator, sometimes you got to get blood in your hands. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, uh, Spencer and Locke are going to have to try to figure out how to stop this killer, uh, from striking again. But watch out. Mondays are going to be rough. <laughs> that sounds like a good teaser for a, uh, network action show in like 1990, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Mondays are going to be rough. <laughs> Mondays this fall. Um, yeah. you, you've had to, on. Yeah. <laughs> you've had to binge read a lot of comic strips to to do the research for the for those books. Which one yeah. uh you know reading them uh you know and uh, mass felt like the deepest journey into madness. Oh, Garfield. 100%. 100%. The the journey into madness is Garfield. And you know um because it's like it's like Bill Watterson and Charles Schultz, they're really, I mean, they're masters. They, they, mm -hmm. they, and I think the thing is, is that they have such a distinct point of view and such a distinct voice mm -hmm. to each of them. Um, I think the big surprise, you know, I grew up with Calvin and Hobbes. So like I knew that, you know, going in, but when I was reading Peanuts, I was so shocked at, I think I'm used to, you know, the MetLife, you know, uh, 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 you know, mascots and, mm -hmm. and seeing just how, beautifully realized those characters were and how beautifully illustrated they were from the beginning. Um, you know, it really blew me away. Um, Garfield is madness. Garfield is like, you know, is, is anarchy. Um, you know, if, if uh, Calvin and Hobbes and Peanuts are like classics, I can't even say it's like jazz. It's, it's almost like, it's like punk, you know? I mean, it's just, yeah, Garfield. Garfield is a weird character, you know, and 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 it's in part because Jim Davis wrote him to be as sort of like broad and non offensive as possible, mm -hmm. and um, and so it's been interesting sort of grafting that mythology onto two very deliberate mythologies um, mm -hmm. and sort of figuring out you know which one comes out on top, and so that's been a big 
part of the journey for this. You know, I, I mean, I, I think with Spencer and Locke volume one and two, you know, you've got Bill Watterson's imagery and you have to figure out like, okay, what fits and what is sort of the best, what's the things that people are going to expect most, you know, I would never be able to write that first volume without Spaceman Spiff, you know, mm-hmm. um, but now it's sort of like, okay, we're, we're, what have I used already and what's left um, versus, versus uh, Peanuts and, and Garfield where I'm sort of starting the cycle all over again, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, like, you know, how can I fit, for example, you know, the kite eating tree, you know, um, you know, or, or, uh, or the, the great pumpkin, mm-hmm. uh, you know, let alone, you know, all the characters with their own individual quirks. Um, and so that has been like, it's a big undertaking. It's sort of, it's the hardest parts of going to the chapel with the hardest parts of Spencer and Locke, mm-hmm. uh, putting them all together in a way that feels different and sort of stands on its own two feet, but still kind of wraps up the saga in a big way. Um, I feel like, you know, it's, it, everybody asked me if I felt a lot of expectations in volume two. And I think because uh, not a lot of time had passed, I didn't feel them, but now it's like, oh, you know, we ended volume two in a cliffhanger, like, and now we got to pay it off. And so it's really sort of, it's, it's making me be like, I got to bring my A game to this. And I really, I've been interrogating this series within an inch of its life. I've been doing a lot of, a lot of rewriting and I don't usually do a lot of rewrites um, because I'm like, good enough is not good enough for this series. And uh, it's my baby. That book changed my life. And uh, I want to make sure that we, we, we end it on, 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 on the note it deserves. I'm sorry. I'm still hung up on Garfield as punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's just like, it's it, like, it's a thing, you know, I mean, you know, and it's, it's, there's certainly a degree of enthusiasm uh, to, to, to Jim Davis's work. I don't know if like anybody would necessarily, I don't know how technically proficient anyone would consider Garfield to be, although I guess it is very proficient in it's sort of broadness and it's inoffensiveness. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's sort of like, it really is the anti-peanuts in, in, in every possible way. Um, and so it's been, it's been fun kind of figuring out where's the overlap and where's the gaps between the two. So uh, we mentioned New York. Uh, what other, what other uh, cons are you getting yourself into uh, this, this yeah. fall into winter? So I'm, I'm slowly getting back into the swing of things. I'm really excited. Um, I'm turned to conventions at Rose City Comic Con in September. Um, so we will, uh, I will have uh, trades uh, for uh, Scouts Honor. That'll be my first show back with that. Um, I'm doing New York Comic Con um, in October, followed by Baltimore uh, two weeks later. Um, very excited for both of those shows. Um, you know, Baltimore especially, it's one of my favorite shows. Um, you know, they were, uh, they were so nice to me at the Ringo Awards a couple of years ago. They, um, they, they uh, gave my mother a ticket. My mother surprised me at the, at the Ringo Awards uh, in 2018. Um, and so, um, and then uh, we'll see, I, I might be going to Emerald City Comic Con. They haven't uh, told everybody who's in yet, um, but I'm very much hoping to, 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 to show up there. And then, um, yeah, I'll be doing a free comic book day at um, Atomic Basement Comics in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, Mike Wellman's been a, a friend and a supporter for a long time. So I'm, uh, you know, when he asked uh, if I wanted to do free comic book day, I said, of course, happy to, happy to oblige you. 
Um, and yeah, I'm just excited. You know, I hope things remain safe. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, 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 I'm crossing fingers that, that things with the Delta variant don't get bad enough that, you know, we, we have to shut things down again. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, it's funny. I just ordered uh, my, some masks for the shows. I figured I'm going to wear a mask the whole time. And if I'm going to be muffled during my, during my show, I ordered a bunch of masks that say, uh, do you like Calvin and Hobbes on it? Um, so at least people can hear my sales pitch, even if they can't read my lips. Um, so yeah, um, so very excited to be at Rose City, New York, Baltimore, and hopefully Emerald City. Nice, nice. What about Trenton? Are there conventions in Trenton? Uh, no, no, Perhaps. Matt. Um, a funny thing about my state's capital and your state's capital, because you live there, uh, is it is neither a source of comic conventions nor strategic defense. Uh, not that I would tell you where we keep the missiles at this point. That's unfortunate, Dan Greet. I thought we were friends. All right, uh, Matt. Here's a, here's a segment you should be more than comfortable introducing. What, 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 I'll, I'll let you lead in pet corner. How about that? Yes, normal human affection for pets. I have my cat, Beth. She is soft, 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 and here for pets. Yes, a soft, soft cat. Yes. That's all. I just keep thinking that you're about to go like full alphabet thing. Like just get the get the bread bread buns going. That's funny. I would never eat my cat. Perhaps someone else's. But not mine. Well, that's comforting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, the intention here was for Matt to ask David about his dog. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But that took a real turn. David, how is Ruby doing? She's doing good. She's uh she's she's in the in the living room with my with my girlfriend. Um uh yeah, she's been she's been such a sweet kid. Um you know, she's uh she's 10 months old as of uh as of Saturday. Um so we're 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 gearing up for her for her first birthday. And yeah, you know, I mean, uh she's a wild kid. She's very smart. Um I brought her home to visit my parents, my girlfriend's parents uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, my parents have three terriers at home and uh, Ruby was already figuring out how to, how to get through the gates uh, in about 15 minutes of showing up there. So my mother has said, uh, uh, your dog's too smart for our house. She can't stay here anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, very sweet kid, very energetic. Um, you know, uh, she's, she's got a reputation at the daycare for being the puppy that wears out all the other puppies. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, you know, She's 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 a she's a smart kid. She's a she's litter box trained, which is like nice. insane. Yeah, that she came to us that way, um, and yeah, she's just you know she she likes to, she likes being my writer's assistant. She hasn't quite gotten my coffee order right yet. She doesn't quite understand that like being the writer's assistant means you gotta let me write. But uh, <laughs> you know, she's so darn cute. You know how how can I how can I be mad at her? Uh, but yeah, she's. Uh, I think she's. I think she's sleeping off daycare on the couch right now. Nice. 
damn flooded basement. It's not even raining tonight. It's like someone's trying to distract me or something. Hope I'm not too late to record. What the hell is this? Real Matt, you're back. Yeah. Yeah. And why is there a knockoff Matt here? I'm not entirely sure who I'm most disappointed in in this case. You guys for not, you know, texting me like, hey, I think there's a scroll or you, Bess. I mean, you don't catch mice. You don't, you know, eat bugs and you don't attack scrolls. These are the three things cats are supposed to do and you don't do any of them. <sighs> Move. Uh, I, I am not a scroll. I I believe you are a scroll. Really? I'm the scroll, huh? Yes. Clearly. Yeah. Uh, favorite superhero. Name him now. Batman. Okay, that was a gimme. Um, it really was. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, th- that requires the most basic of research. You know what? Just screw it. I'm me. <laughs> we will have to agree to disagree. Well, this episode seems to be, unfortunately, running to the end. I guess we'll have to accept this, af- deal with this after the fact. This is going to be that thing where I have to like shoot the fake one of you on the rooftop in the rain, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Which is going to be a pain in the ass because I'm all the way out here on the other side of New Jersey, but yeah, get in the car. But before I do that, uh, <laughs> uh, David, how can people uh, follow you online and keep up with the OZ and everything else you got going on? Sure. Well, you can follow me on uh, uh, Twitter uh, at PeposD. Uh, same thing on Instagram. You can follow me on Facebook at David Pepos Comics. You can visit my website at uh, davidpepos.com. Uh, you can subscribe to my newsletter, Pep Talks, at bit.ly slash pepnews. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can follow um, the, the, uh, the OZ. Uh, it's at uh, kickstarter.com slash projects slash the OZ comic slash the dash oz dash two uh, i'll get a fancy bitly address for that very soon um but uh yeah just follow me on any social media and we'll uh, we'll we'll get you to anywhere you need to be all right david uh we thank you very much for uh putting up with this very uh off episode of wmq and uh, i love it i love it <laughs> committing, committing to the bit it's my favorite thing Uh, if you can't commit to a bit what can you commit to Uh, but uh, before we wrap uh, special thanks to Steve Morris and Shelf Dust for inspiring this uh, nonsense of an episode Uh, good night everybody he loves you I've had just about enough of you (laughs) goodbye that's it for this week's show as a reminder WMQ&A is part of Comics XF meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at comicsxf.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at comicsxf.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash WMQComics, 
where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, that one time Pete Wisdom stopped a vampire invasion from the moon. WMQA.